0: No,
2: No, there was not a caravan that was invading the United States, I had to put that plainly. I will say that I interviewed some some Trump supporters who were in a gated retirement community in South Florida who were scared that this caravan was going to come and bring all sorts of diseases to them. And the president essentially feels as though he was validated in running that campaign of fear because Republicans were able to keep control of the Senate and even gain a couple seats.
0: if you talk to people who are on the side of of the trump administration for example supportive of his decisions they will say that this yes is a symbolic position to put you know barbed wire fencing it's to show people we mean business we are serious there is a presence here but for those people who are on the opposite side of that opinion they say this really does nothing but waste our money and waste our troops time they claim acosta accosted a female intern while she was trying to take the microphone from him. Okay, not only didn't he accost her, he said, pardon me, ma'am.
3: Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Leon Krause. Pleasure to be with you. The midterms have come and gone and Donald Trump has gone into panic mode. The president just gave us the most bizarre, uncomfortable news conference of his political career and that's saying something. Trump stood at that podium in the White House, and with his index finger wagging and dancing in the air, he went into full confrontational mode with the press, including his favorite antagonist, CNN's Jim Acosta, who, as of this recording, has been barred from the White House after being accused by Sarah Huckabee Sanders of placing his hands on a White House intern that was trying to take the microphone away from him Now it seems that the video that the White House used to prove Acosta's wrongdoing was indeed doctored to show Acosta moving forcefully against the intern in question. All in all, just a normal day at Trump's down-the-rabbit-hole White House. Still, the president will soon be facing a different kind of challenge, a more serious challenge. The election's results will give Democrats in Congress the ability to, A, completely freeze Trump's legislative agenda, and B, investigate the Trump White House in detail. People like uh, California Congressman Adam Schiff have been eagerly preparing for this moment for years now. Schiff will soon head the House Intelligence Committee and will go after Trump with all his might. Hence the president's threats this week, trying to preemptively force Schiff and his colleagues to back down. I frankly don't think they will. Another interesting question after the election is whether President Trump will stick to the nativist message he so furiously used before the midterms. Sane voices, sane voices within the Republican Party, if if they still exist, would probably prefer Trump took a step back from the nativist abyss. After all, the president seems to be alienating independent voters at quite a pace. Still, the words moderation and Trump don't work well together. The president will surely double down on his nativism, on his divisive message, and continue antagonizing immigrants for two more long years. In fact, just a couple of hours before we began recording this Trumpcast, the president announced new and controversial rules denying asylum to anyone seeking asylum at any other point other than the points of entry along the United States' southern border. If that's the case, the migrant caravan will soon be back in the news. And not just this caravan, but the flow of immigrants from Central America, a phenomenon that has been going on for a while and that will continue to worsen given the terrible conditions of that region's northern triangle. We will try to uncover the real story of that humanitarian crisis and the caravan itself when we return from the tweets.
1: Here we go with the tweets. According to NBC News, voters nationwide disapprove of the so-called Mueller investigation, 46%, more than they approve, 41%. You mean they are finally beginning to understand what a disgusting witch hunt led by 17 angry Democrats is all about. We are pleased to announce that Matthew G. Whitaker, Chief of Staff to Attorney General Jeff Sessions at the Department of Justice, will become our new Acting Attorney General of the United States. He will serve our country well. We thank Attorney General Jeff Sessions for his service, and we wish him well. A permanent replacement will be nominated at a later date. In all fairness, Nancy Pelosi deserves to be chosen Speaker of the House by the Democrats. If they give her a hard time, perhaps we will add some Republican votes. She has earned this great honor. To any of the pundits or talking heads that do not give us proper credit for this great midterm election, just remember two words, fake news.
3: Okay, with the with the obvious exception of Fox News, American media has done a better job than ever before to try and understand what's happening with migration from Central America. Still, I think there are many sides of that story that, given its complexity, simply haven't been told or explained well enough. Our guest today knows the caravan story like very few journalists out there, and even had the privilege, quote unquote, of having one of her tweets from the Mexican border used by President Trump himself, which is a dubious honor, to say the least. Carla Sabludowsky is the Mexico Bureau Chief and Latin American correspondent for BuzzFeed News. Carla, welcome. Pleasure to have you with us.
2: Thank you, Leon. Thank you for having me.
3: So so the caravan originated in Central America's Northern Triangle, specifically this one, at least in Honduras. Let us uh, set the scene first. What's been happening in Honduras in the last few years that so many people want to leave?
2: Several things are happening. One, and I think it's it's the reason why most people are leaving now. The primary reason there are no jobs. The economy is at a standstill. Um, you know, people I've sw- I've spoken with in the caravan they tell me that they haven't had a job in years. Um, they're living off of less than two hundred dollars a month, trying to feed their families. Um, it, it's it's just very difficult. And they're also, uh, in parallel, dealing with very significant security issues. There's a huge uh, gang problem. There's extortion. And so, particu- you know, this, this is happening in several countries in Central America, but particularly in Honduras. This is, it, it's, it's a source of a lot of anger for people because they're having to pay extortion to several different gangs. And at the same time, they're having to pay the government a so-called security tax, which was implemented a few years ago. So it's like they, they feel like they're getting extorted from every different direction, because why are they paying a security tax if the security situation is exactly what's driving them away from the country? So they just feel like they're victims of theft left and right, and they don't even have money to give away to begin
3: with. As you know, conservative media has insisted that the caravan was politically motivated, organized by professionals, and, and, and not a product of uh, of this hardship that you have been describing for us. Is there is there anything to that uh, uh, assertion? Anything to this being professionally organized? No. It really doesn't seem like it. It's
2: this. this I've spoken to Bartolo Fuentes, who is the so-called organizer of the march. He claims that he didn't organize it, that he doesn't have the power and the, you know, the, the pull to get so many people to leave their homes. This, what this seems like is, you know, first of all, let's lay the groundwork. People have been leaving Honduras for years. Caravans have been leaving once a year, at least, for the past decade. And then there's the people that just leave every day. Bartolo Fuentes, who I just mentioned, she was telling me that about 400 people leave the country every day. So what's happened, it's gotten more dangerous. It's gotten more expensive. People have even less money to pay for this journey. And so they figured out that a safer and cheaper way to travel is by caravan. It's to do it in in groups, safety in numbers. And so this is what happened. It just organically formed, you know, several different neighborhoods in the country. They started planning, you know, and leaving. So my cousin's joining me and then the neighbors. And Mm -hmm. what happened is that there was, so so this happened In, in, in several different neighborhoods. Small groups started coming together. They went to a station in San Pedro Sula and then HCH, which is a Honduran TV channel, they, blasted this segment all over networks, all over the country with coverage, like full coverage of what was happening in the station, hundreds of people showing up. And so people watching it from their homes, they realized this is their opportunity. There's a bigger caravan that we've seen generally forming. Let's join. And so it just, you know, people kept adding themselves to the caravan as it left the country. People, you know, it, it went through Guatemala. They, people, Guatemalans also joined the caravan. And so it ended up being an organically, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, people just joined. They saw that this was happening. They thought this is their opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so it grew to, I mean, a group that we've, we've never seen.
3: So when the Honduran government says this was politically motivated to to hurt the government, uh, uh, are they just being extremely cynical to be elegant?
2: That's what it seems like to me. You know, a lot of the people in the caravan, they do, they do talk about politics in Honduras. They dislike the government. Many of the people in the caravan did not vote for Juan Orlando Hernandez's re-election. And they say that his re-election has made life even harder in Honduras. The economy, they say, is doing even worse and they can't find jobs because the government knows who they voted for. And if they didn't support him, then they, they don't get jobs. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't, it doesn't seem like it's politically motivated, but there's definitely an aspect of you know the, the election made things far more difficult for government critics.
3: I, I would like to go back to something you you mentioned. Uh, why do people travel in a caravan? Why, why do they choose to make the trek together this way?
2: Two reasons. One, when they travel by themselves, they have to pay smugglers a very high fee seven 000, eight thousand dollars, which is an exorbitant amount for you know people that earn two hundred dollars a month. And two, and this is perhaps a uh, a bigger reason and and a more significant one. It's just too dangerous to travel through Mexico. They get you know, people get extorted by immigration officials, they get mugged by cartels, if not worse, kidnapped, sold, trafficked, uh, the women get raped. And it's 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 a lot more dangerous to, to take you know, if you're traveling by yourself, as a migrant in Mexico, you take the train mm-hmm. and that has risks of it of its own. You know, a lot of people have fallen from the train because they they get on as it's you know, not when it stopped because that's...
3: Yeah, but by the way, Carla, w- when you say you take the train, that uh, for someone in New York, that might sound uh, cool. But <laughs> yes. when you say you take the train, you, you're referring to to that horrible thing we, 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 we call La Bestia, right?
2: Right, it's the beast. So uh, the name is very telling. It's a cargo train. It goes very fast. People ride on the roof. They're exposed, obviously, to the elements. They get on when it's when it's on the move. Obviously, it's going very fast. So a lot of people they try to get on. They can't. They get uh, run over by the train. They lose arms. They lose legs. There, there have been countless deaths. So yeah, this is if if you're listening to this from New York, this is. Uh, this is not a, the kind of train that you're probably imagining.
3: <laughs> exactly. It's not the the, the, the two express downtown. Uh. So one of the very few things that Donald Trump likes about Mexico, and he said as much uh, repeatedly, is the country's immigration policies. And, and we could see why. Mm-hmm. just Just now, Mexico... Uh, showed how how the country mistreats Central American refugees. This has been going on for a while, by the way. It didn't start with with the caravan. Now it's more visible because media has been covering the caravan. But this has been going on for years. You know the situation quite well. How badly does the Mexican government treat these Central American migrants?
2: Of course, Trump likes the Mexican immigration policy because we're doing, Mexico is doing the U.S.'s dirty job, basically. So the U.S. outsourced its immigration problem to Mexico in 2014 when there was that big wave of undocumented minors crossing the U.S. border. So when that happened, Obama put a lot of pressure on the Mexican government and we, they, they came up with a program called Plan Frontera Sur. So what that meant is that they were going to clamp down on illegal crossings obviously, in the border between Mexico and Guatemala, but also across the country. And so what that meant is that the number of migrants, of Central American migrants, primarily that were detained and deported, just rose a a really significant amount. And so there were checkpoints that were all across the migrant trail, the different uh, routes that migrants take. and it made the journey a lot more difficult and it made it a lot more dangerous because migrants had to try to dodge these checkpoints. they had to go you know different routes that were even more dangerous. they had to go with uh, you know they were trying to do it alone to make it a little bit cheaper and to make it less dangerous. they had to go with a smuggler because smugglers were the ones that knew where the checkpoints were. so, they just made a journey that was already incredibly difficult. They made it murderous. They made it... A-
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Revoid. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Killer journey.
3: What was it like to be there? Let me ask you about your personal experience with the caravan.
2: Well, there have been several stages to the caravan. I joined them in Guatemala on the border uh, right before they went on the bridge that separates the two countries. And it was very difficult, especially for the families uh, and for the children, because the heat, Leon, you cannot imagine the heat down there. It was very, very draining. They were getting food uh, just handouts from people. No one had any money in them. I, I asked so many migrants, how much money do you have in your pockets? And they would literally shake them out. They had no money. So they, they were living off of handouts from strangers, walking endlessly. I mean, they, they, they got just a few rights. They mostly walked from home, from Honduras. And so when they got to the Mexican border, they were already really worn down. And then they get to the bridge and it's a scene of mayhem. The Mexican government reinforced the gates the morning that that the the caravan arrived at the gate. They shut the gate down, and so it was very frustrating for many. There were obviously, you know, you're always going to have bad apples in any group, and there were some people at the front of the group that were provoking, and so the government, the Mexican police reacted with tear gas, which was really upsetting for many of the migrants because it was the the children and the women that were at the front. So they were the ones that got sprayed with tear gas. And then from there, it's just been a very, very treacherous journey. They had to cross on small little tires. They had to cross the the river separating Mexico and Guatemala because the, the Mexican government wouldn't open the gates. It was just a trickle of people. So a lot of these people, they don't know how to swim and they're carrying small children. They had to cross the river, which is really frightening. And ever since then, they've been walking 40, 50 miles a day in really, really difficult heat. And covering it has been very challenging. I mean, it's, it's almost upsetting to talk about the challenges that my colleagues and I face because it's nothing compared to what the migrants are dealing with. But it's a, it just I can't underscore how draining that heat was. Everyone has been getting sick. I think you can hear in my voice too. I also have a cold. You know, it's moving in a very tight group, tightly packed in very difficult conditions. No one is getting proper food, Mm -hmm. proper nourishment, proper sleep. It's just been very difficult, very challenging.
3: Uh, Just for the record, Carla, did you meet any Middle Eastern looking men with devious (laughs) intentions in the caravan?
2: No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. And I asked migrants all around if they had seen any Middle Easterners around them. And no one had. And several of them said, you know, we all somehow know each other. You know, Honduras is a small country. Obviously, Guatemalans have joined. Salvadorans have joined since. But when Trump made this allegation early on, um, it was still a caravan, mostly of Hondurans, and they said, you know, it's, it's a small country. We, If we don't know the person next to us, then our uncle knows their sister, who knows their friend, who's a neighbor. So mm. they would know, and uh, they were really shocked about this accusation.
3: The caravan is now in Mexico City, many of them inside a stadium. Does it seem to you that the political news cycle uh, has had any effect on on the caravan are, are they aware of the way the caravan has been covered uh, are they aware of the news cycle uh, in america
2: a little bit the news really it, it trickles through the migrants in the caravan very slowly uh the way that they hear about the news is mostly through facebook and it's a big hassle for them to charge their phones obviously uh, it's not like the stadium where their ad has five thousand outlets um, so they, they hear only a little bit. I, I went over to the stadium yesterday and I asked a bunch of migrants if they had heard about the elections. One of them said, uh, yeah, I think it was a presidential election and Trump lost. So that kind of gives you a sense of how much they, they're they not aware. And, um, you know, I, I think, um, none of them seem to, to really understand the, the significance of the election. They, they, didn't, they don't really understand that it was, you know, congressional seats that, you know, it, it was the Republican grasp on, on Congress that was on the line here. And they don't really seem to care. You know, when you ask that, they, they, what they're trying to do is survive on a daily basis here on the road. Um, they're kind of putting off what they're going to get to and what that's going to look like to, you know, what, when they actually get there. They, they, they just can't deal with so much. So what they're all, Telling me um, is that they're, they're concerned because they have heard that Trump is militarizing the border. Um, some of them have heard that he said that um, anyone who throws a, a stone or a rock that they're going to respond with uh, live bullets. But they they say you know he's probably they you have to you have to remember and that they're very very religious people. Um, they carry their faith very close to their heart. So when you ask them about Trump, what he said and how he plans to read them or his administration, they say, you know, his heart is going to be touched. We're certain that he's going to realize that we're good people, that we will not throw stones, that all oh, we wanted to just provide a better life for our children and get jobs and send money back home. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're pretty certain that, his, you know, he's going to be moved by that.
3: Well, uh, that seems unlikely, especially now. A few hours before we began recording this Trump, cast, President Trump claimed, as you know, broad new authority to deny asylum to immigrants entering the United States illegally. That means those who who do not request asylum at the country's already overrun points of entry. This will be challenged uh, at the courts, uh, as we know, but this will create... A bottleneck effect in Mexico, Carla, and it will certainly complicate the crisis, not only for the United States and for Central America, but for Mexico now.
2: Yeah. So one thing I want to note about that is a lot of these migrants, they don't plan on entering illegally. They plan on turning themselves in at official border crossings. That's one thing. But yeah, this would definitely create a pretty significant challenge to the Mexican government. You know, we saw that with uh, Haitians and Cubans who were stuck in Tijuana and other border towns, really overwhelming services in these cities and towns across the border. And that's maybe what we're going to see, even though the the Mexican government has been under a lot of pressure from Trump and they came out, I think it was last week, with this offer of temporary jobs. But but it's going to be a crisis. It's inevitable because. You can offer temporary jobs, but this is one caravan. You know, and we're talking about four caravans that have been, I believe it's three caravans that are in, in the country right now. There are others that there are reports that are forming in Central America. It's not just one caravan. And if they're not able to enter the U.S. and they stay in Mexico, these are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that Mexico will have to provide for in a way, provide jobs and It's going to be a very big challenge for the incoming administration.
3: And to be fair, one should say that in Mexican social media as well, when the caravan crisis exploded, we saw actually quite a horrible reaction. I remember tweeting myself some of the quotes that I got from people on Twitter that they they reminded me very much of the reactions i have seen in america that are more nativist driven so in mexico we have also seen that reaction to the caravan and that also seems concerning
2: yeah and you raise a really really good point mexicans are so mexicans are very racist especially towards the central american Brothers and neighbors, um, you know, and that, that's always been something worth noting. You know, Mexicans demand better treatment for Mexican migrants in the U.S., but we treat Central Americans far worse than the U.S. treats Mexicans. And you're right. There have been horrible reactions on Twitter um, after I posted something about the Mexican caravan arriving at the stadium in Mexico City one Twitter user said something about he tweeted something about putting a bomb at the stadium. And these, these, I, I think that they're still isolated cases. I don't think that this is a generalized and public attitude. But it, it's still out there. And those few comments that you see, they're very aggressive and they're very destructive. And it's going to be interesting um, and scary to see if if they're the start of a trend. If these migrants. Caravans keep coming. These voices keep growing.
3: For the the Republicans, going back to the United States for a second, the, the the caravan was supposed to be big news for days on end before the election. It seemed to be the the only news actually on conservative media. Uh, lie after lie, exaggeration after exaggeration were widely broadcast. Now, a few days after the the elections. The the issue has practically disappeared from major media news tickers. What do you think about the way American media has covered the story, especially especially conservative media?
2: I didn't see any reporters from conservative media down with on the ground with the caravan. I didn't see anyone from Fox or Breitbart, but they were certainly giving the caravan a lot of airtime. So I think it's important to divide who we're talking about. There, American media uh, is one thing, and then I think given uh, the current atmosphere conservative media is another
3: so i agree
2: if they yeah if they stopped covering it i can't say much about it uh, they they were never covering it on the ground to begin with so
3: so they weren't covering it they were they weren't being journalists right they were just being pundits or propagandists <laughs> that's I, I my word you, you you don't have to use it
2: <laughs> i mean i agree you know how how can you they they, they didn't have anyone on the ground they were reporting live And they were totally unsourced. And it was just grabbing information that was out there and twisting it, adding, manipulating. that's to me, that's not American media because I see American media on the ground. All of my colleagues have been there from the beginning, from day one, up until now that the caravan is in Mexico City. We haven't stopped covering it. Not one day. I mean, open the newspaper, open any major newspaper in the U S and I bet you're going to find a caravan story today or yesterday, or there's another one, you know, that's coming tomorrow. You also need to understand that, you know, there are news cycles. You, I mean, you, you get this, the caravan has been parked in Mexico city, uh, today is the fifth day. That's the reason also why you've heard a little bit less about it in the last five days, because we covered it when they first got to Mexico city and then not that much it's changing, you know until they leave and they go to the next spot and they make a plan and they decide what route they're going to take, and they start the journey again, then there's a bit of a lull in news, but that's normal that's that's not propaganda, it's not politically motivated. that's just the way news works
3: by the way, what did you think when President Trump used one of your tweets to celebrate the way Mexico was responding to the caravan <sighs> it
2: was. It was not a good day. Uh, It's so sad, you know, you think like the day that uh, the president of the world's most powerful country tweets you that it's going to be, you know, an honor and a moment of excitement. But it was everything. But my editor, I don't follow Trump on Twitter. And I I guess my editor knows because she texted and said, how are you doing? Uh, You must be getting a lot of really hateful messages and didn't understand what was happening. And then she said, Trump retweeted you. And my heart sank because I knew that it was very likely that whatever he had retweeted, he was twisting to fit his venomous rhetoric. And it was true. I mean, he took a tweet that was just straight news. Mexico was sending police to the border and he turned it into, you know, Mexico is doing exactly what I want them to do. Although at the same time, they, don't, they are. So it's just very mixed feelings,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but mostly dread.
3: I, I completely understand. I, I know it's an impossible question, but from your experience, what would it take to fix this crisis? And I'm not only referring to the migration crisis. I am thinking of the crisis in Central America. Do you think like a, a, a Marshall Plan For Central America could fix this, more aid to the region? I know it's an impossible question, but what's your take?
2: I don't know that it's more aid. I think it's auditing the aid that the region is already receiving. The U.S. sends Central America millions and millions and millions of dollars every year to fight corruption, to fight crime. But how is that money being used? And what are the results? I think that really needs to be the emphasis on figuring out if this is being put to good use. There was, I can't remember who tweeted this, but there was a video of one of the the men in the migrant caravan. The interviewer asked him, you know, Trump threatens to take away aid to Honduras. What do you think? And he laughed and he said, I don't care. The only person that's going to be affected is President Juan Orlando Hernandez because he steals Hmm. all that money. So what should the U.S. and Mexico do? I think definitely not take aid away, but audit how it's being used. And I think finance, more initiatives like, I don't know if you've heard of CIC in in Guatemala, it's a UN-backed corruption fighting initiative. That's had really, really great results. Uh, There was a similar effort in Honduras, but it wasn't, you know, it was was a half-hearted effort. So what needs to happen? Money needs to flow into the region, but it needs to be audited. And the countries that are giving this aid need to be monitoring what the results are.
3: Lastly, Carla, could you name one thing? One thing that you would like people in America to understand about Central American migrants and this caravan specifically? One thing. (sighs) That's a tough one.
2: Okay. They're not leaving their countries because they want to. None of them want to be walking up through several countries in really inhospitable conditions. They're leaving and they're here and they're trying to get to the U.S. because they can't be home. Because there are no jobs and they're fleeing for their safety. Yesterday, I met a woman. Carrying a month old baby in her arms. She left when her baby was 19 days old. You could see the baby's toes and they were so wrinkled. Like, you know, when, when you come out of a bath, it's because she's so the baby was, you don't leave your country carrying a 19 day old baby for fun. And because you think that it's just all going to be roses on the way to, to your destination and when you get to your destination you know it's going to be hard but staying is no longer an option
3: carla thank you for the conversation and congratulations for what you've been doing covering the caravan for all of us thank you again
2: thank you Leon, for having me Un abrazo.
3: and that's the show for today what do you think let us know please on social media on twitter I'm at Leon Krause, L-E-O-N-K-R-A-U-Z-E, and the show is always at Real Trumpcast. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan with help from Mario Choa and AC Valdez. John Di Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. Find him at, at Johnny D23 on Twitter. And I'm Leon Krause. Thanks again for listening to Trumpcast.